Hold on to your hats. The countdown to the biggest wellness event of the year is on. Join us on August 15 and 16 in Melbourne for not one but two days of Powerhouse Wellness featuring 11 of Australia's most inspiring, entertaining, educating, fermentating speakers. Damo, what is fermentating? MP, I'll tell you at the summit. Your favourite wellness couch speakers are joined by special guest Nat Kringudis on all things hormones and female health. Join the Up For A Chat girls, the wellness guys, the natural nutritionist Steph Lowe, Kale Brock, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witten, Marcus Pierce, and the rest of your favourite wellness couch podcasters. Regular and VIP tickets are still available, but hurry before this summit is sold out. For tickets, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. The Wellness Summit is proudly brought to you by Well & You. Be someone that makes you happy. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And today, we've got a very special cheeky babe on the show with us. This little angel is actually a really, really dear and close friend to each one of us individually and also each of us together um, or to us together as a group. Jodie Nolan is one of the most inspiring, powerful, brilliant, feminine, beautiful souls that I think I've crossed paths with and I love that she's such a spunky bum but she also and she also has such a she's an educated mind she's totally across money totally across what makes us tick around money and she's so um Gosh, I can't even seem to find enough words for your jokes because I just <laughs> to me you're the shizballs to me you're it and I'm so grateful and so excited to have you on the show and also to be able to share you with all of our listeners. So Thank welcome. You. What a what an intro. <laughs> Trust me, I'm gonna hit you up for fifty minutes. Yeah, I was later. just gonna say. <laughs> oh god. Actually, Jody, can I um butt in here and just talk about how we found you? Yeah, Is that okay? yeah absolutely. Yeah, far away. Okay, so many, many, many moons ago, many years ago, I was reading a magazine and I read about Jodie um, and her her love for finance and her knowledge of finance and what she had done in her life around finance. And um, I was with Rachel Birmingham at the time, and who is the four ingredients queen. And I said to Rach, I think we need somebody like this um, in our seminars. And our, our seminars at that time were um, called lip seminars. So that was ladies, what were they, Kim? Ladies? Initiating. Initiating what were they, Initiating yeah. success. Gosh, it seems so long ago. So um, we contacted Jodie as a result of this magazine article and asked would she like to come on board as the finance expert in our lips. And then, of course, um, we, we all wrote a book together called Read My Lips and um, Jodie has been very influential in um, my knowledge with uh, finances. I just, I just know what she's like in a meeting. She's, um, I wouldn't want to cross her. Put, put it that way. <laughs> um, she's straightforward. She she knows her stuff. She's as passionate about 
um, finances, I believe I am about food. She helps me. I help her. We make a great team, don't we, Jodie? We do. And we do. We make a good team. And Jodie will say something and I will, I will sit up and listen. Um, I remember I just asked her a quick question and it wasn't, I think she flippantly told me something, but it meant so much to me. It got me thinking. I went back to my accountant. I said, what can I do? And I bought a farm, didn't I, Jodie? Yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) I need to be careful about what I say. (laughs) So I I just want people to know that, you know, Jodie is a friend, and but she's one of those friends that when you need to know things about finance, um, she's the girl you call on. Um, and, I, yeah, no, seriously, Jodie, I just want everybody to know that what they're about to hear, they should listen to because you've always been ahead of the game. You research like there's nobody else out there that researches. So me in particular, I want to really listen to what you've got to say because we all have businesses, Karen, Kim and I, we both, and yourself, we all have businesses and I think it's important to know what's coming so you can prepare. And if we think that there is some downtime coming, we need to put stuff away for that. And yeah. I think you articulately, you know, you're so articulate in how you um, say this. So I take note of you all the time. I love reading your stuff and um, <laughs> I just want to just blow your trumpet just that little bit more. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and very and sweet. Yeah, I, I want to add to it now too. And she's <laughs> super hot. Oh, my God. She's so right. Hot. Oh, my God. So it's like the Jodie Nolan know, fan club over here. Yeah, I know, and I'm so putting this out there into the world. You know that, don't you? <laughs> I bet she is such a beautiful. I had the privilege of marrying Jodie a couple of years ago and uh, we were all there and it was just she's such a bright uh, girl and I'm with you, Cindy and Karen, that, you know, to have youth a major experience of highs and lows, children um, and and all your qualifications behind you. I think what I'd really love to share, what part of what I wanted to share with you today was your ideas and understanding around the energy of money, not just, mm-hmm. you know, so many of us look at it as a budgeting thing and, you, and I hate the word, I don't like the word budget, but, um, you know, anything around, you know, the, the, the flow of what it means to have money and I would love us to obviously give some really good pointers on on how to have a good relationship with money regardless of what we've been through but also have a really good understanding around how you feel your energy towards and around money also um, does affect the way that we earn and spend money. Mm. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, just to touch on that, Kimmy, you, that that's a whole topic in itself. Um I mean, you girls know energy far more than, than I ever do. I'm naive actually to it, except to say that when it comes to money, it has a life force of its own. Um, and you only need to be without financial awareness or without money or without currency to realise how powerfully it affects every other aspect of your world. So, um, but And then when you've got it too, you know, the changes that you can make and the inspiration that you can bring and the things that you can do, um, when you've got money behind you, again, is is phenomenal. So I think it's um it's it's the kind of commodity that deserves huge respect. Um, when you when you abuse money in your environment, whether that's um, not looking after it, not not caring how you make it, not caring how you spend it, not caring where it goes, um, that sort of reflects in other areas of your world as well. 
but that yeah that's a whole another topic that we can talk about but I can definitely touch on that so that's that's um there's a there's no real mystique to it I suppose um it's been my experience that when I have areas of my world in order so for instance I know the money that's coming in I know the money that's going out I can tell you categorically you know um what I might have in these investments in this super and roughly what my assets are worth if I roughly know all of this in my world I can actually give money a wide berth I can I can just leave it to do its own thing and I don't stress about it I don't bring negativity to it I don't adversely make it make me feel sick in the gut so I I just think it's a whole life force of its own and then weirdly that frees up energies to bring more of it to me the minute I start clamping down stressing worrying um robbing Peter to pay Paul worried about where the next thing's going worried about this particular investment as soon as I bring all that negative energy into it for some reason things start going pear-shaped so probably one of the, the the biggest things that you can ever do is not just to stick your head in the sand and go, okay, well, if I don't know about it, then surely that's not bringing negative energy to it. You actually need to be aware of what's happening, but just let it be itself and not bring all the negative to it. So what I generally encourage my clients to do, whether it's small business or if I'm coaching one-on-one, is to be able to say, let's get a thorough snapshot of where you are right now, today. And then once we've got that, we just need to look at it monthly. And it's not a big deal. We don't make a big issue out of it. We just need to roughly know where you are. And then we can say, look, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. And then we can identify the areas, you know, that need attention. But otherwise, um, yeah, that whole energy. And once people roughly know where they are, usually they're in a better position than they think they are. Um, And that in itself creates more positivity. And yeah, it's look. I love it. I could talk about it till the chaos come home. <laughs> so, girls, I think if we could get started, first of all, I'd love to ask you, Jodie, what mm. got you interested in money from a young, like, what, were you good at school with economics and accounting or where did it all start for you? That's a good question. Um, no, I was hopeless at school. I, I hated maths. I, I did advanced maths and I hated it. Um <laughs> I went to work. I finished year twelve, did quite well. Went straight to work for a law firm because uh, my mum was a lawyer and thought that's what I should do. And twelve months into studying law and working in a law firm, I realised that I just didn't like it. It wasn't a passion. And weirdly, down the road at this other big institution, I saw people coming in and out in fancy cars and fancy suits, and they just seemed to have it all going on and then I finally got to meet a couple of these people and and they worked in financial planning in, in finance sector and a couple of lunches with them I realized that oh, I, I, I'm thoroughly fascinated about what it is that they do you know when they talk about trading markets or you know they talk about what's happening with the Dow or or, or any of that sort of stuff it just sort of spiked a massive interest so I think I was about 19 at the time I'd been saving um, I was looking at buying my first home at the time and um, yeah so I ended up getting offered a job with them and so I went to work with them and I studied uni at night and worked for them full-time during the day and that's pretty much how it started. So then I worked for financial planning firms for lots of years, uh, independence and went to the big banks um, in um, in my, my career as a financial planner, that's where I tended to learn about 
you know, uh, the commodities and then I got into a bit of the knowledge on trading and derivatives and, yeah, and it just expanded my knowledge from there. So that's how I started. I, I just saw what someone else was doing and thought, gosh, that, that really resonates with me. So did you buy your first home at that age? I was just a little bit older. Um, I was 19 and a half when I got my oh. first place. Okay, so yeah. just that is just in itself a major um, uh, look. I mean, I don't know. At nineteen, I was on my first <laughs> one day mm. I mean, overseas trip and looking at spending <laughs> money, not saving it. So I just yeah. me too. What, where me was too. that mindset? Do that. Well, I think a lot of it was the people I surrounded myself with. You know, looking back now, they say that you're the sum of the five most people you hang around most. And, and I, I really believe that to be the case. I had some really great mentors um, at the time, people who are a lot older, who, who basically um, instilled some, some really ground-level things, you know, in so much as, uh, like, for instance, the first property um, I got, I didn't live in. Um, I still rented with my friends, but I bought a place that I wouldn't live in but someone else would, and then it was investment pl- property. And so... Um, you know, even just that learning lesson, you know, I couldn't afford to, to live where I wanted to live. So I bought something that was, you know, somewhere out in the sticks and someone else rented it. And, you know, and, that, and then I got capital growth in that. And then I used that equity to, to buy another property. And then I used that equity to get into the share market. Um, and then I margined up from the share. So it was just, it's a, it was a natural progression. Um, and it's something that anybody can do. You just need someone to sit down and show you the figures and, do the yeah, due diligence and, around and it. Therein lies the million dollar point. You need someone to show you how. I reckon, unless yeah. you've been brought up in this environment or unless you're actually surrounded by people that talk this language, I mean, the minute you say equity, I thought at first you were talking about, I don't know, equal rights, I don't know, equal, <laughs> equal, equal, equal what? Um, yeah. But, but it's seriously, as we become more. Um, uh, educated in this topic it obviously seems a lot easier so just just walk through for any of our young listeners what should they be looking out for then at such a young age so that they could get their first property so you said that you you know you couldn't afford to live in it so I are you suggesting your first home should be an investment property yes yeah or um, the other thing you could do it depends on where you live depends on the demographics you know at the moment Sydney and, and Melbourne in my opinion are hyperinflated um, you know, there's a lot of talk about Brisbane and the surrounding the southeast Queensland being being quite lucrative in that respect and still having areas of growth. Um, but then there's a lot of remote areas, you know, where people are happy to rent. So it just depends on where you, where you live. But if you're in an environment where um, a unit or a small home is, is potentially within your budget, so you can raise 20% of what it might be worth, then there's two things you can do. You can either look for your parents to go guarantor for you, which I don't suggest, but it is an option. Um, I like the idea of you being able to stand on your own two feet um, or you save up those funds to get your deposit um, for that property or that unit. If I was a young person again, I would save like crazy, stay at home, save like crazy, then get that first uh, unit, you know, something the smallest, the most affordable, the cheapest place, not, not a nice big, big four-bedroom, you know, with three bathrooms. I'm talking about really ground entry level and then rent a room out to your friends so that they can help pay off your mortgage. And then when you're in that home, that home becomes your principal place. So for the first 12 months, um, you know, you need to live in that before you can possibly rent it out. The beautiful thing about that is that a principal place is then tax-free when you go to sell it. 
So from there, then you can start to look at, okay, well, I'm building equity in this. I'm actually in the property market. This is incredible. Um, it's a tax-free asset which appreciates. All those sorts of things go to creating wealth for a young person going forward. Wow. Seems so simple. Why aren't we taught this at school? Yeah, good question. <laughs> Look, seriously, if I if I ended up on a board where I discussed Year 11 and 12 curriculum and put together programs for, for our next generation, I would be the happiest little kid on the planet because I think at the end of the day, the, the, the worst thing about our schooling system is they do not teach us about health, they do not teach us about wealth, and they do not teach us about relationships. And yet when you get out of school, they're the only three things that cause you grief. You know, people stress about their health, they stress about their wealth, and they stress about their relationships. And yet nobody broaches this in year 11 and 12. Um, I agree oh, entirely. It, I, yeah. I agree entirely. I think our education system is teaching the wrong things. And I remember doing Australian history, and while I think Australian history is important, they lied. They actually <laughs> lied to me. And yeah. I, I often wonder, you know, like you think about health, they're actually not telling them truths either. So what are they going to teach them in finance? You know, that's the thing is that um, it's it's frustrating because I see what they're teaching in health in um, high school and in primary school and it's, you know, it's based on the Australian guidelines but, oh, my gosh, they're, they're so bad. So what are they going to teach in finance, Jody? If they're teaching like they teach in health, they're so backward in their thinking. You know, you say things often that I go, I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and maybe it's about parents encouraging um, this, but most parents aren't brought up like this. Most parents don't, don't think to invest. Most parents sometimes don't even have a home of their own. Well, so- well we're, we're taught to grow up and do that great Australian dream, you know, buy a house, spend 50 years paying it off, and then when you, when you get somewhere near retirement, start pooling funds and, and you'll live off that. But the, the truth is that that just hasn't worked, will never work, and, and exponentially when you map it out, you can see really clearly, you know, people do data sets on this all the time, and that it's just not viable. And going forward, if you're going to teach your kids that same thing, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in assets in all the different quadrants, you know, like your, your property portfolios, your share portfolios, and having cash and having investment holdings, you know, or businesses, that sort of thing. Um, it's the same. I don't know what they would teach Cindy, to be honest, at school. Um, it scares me. But these days, the the huge issues with debt globally, you know, um, our, our young ones get straight out of school and the first thing they do is get a car or a car loan. Uh, and then they get into the GE finance debts and the, the credit card debt. And, and then they've got you know, Foxtel and they've got all these outgoings and, and it's there's there's no delayed gratification. Everything's instant. I want it now. I'm getting it now. And then there's very little um, there's very little support for when the big repercussions hit. So, you know, the amount of kids going bankrupt in their early 20s, now I sound old, but they it, it's phenomenal because it's easier just to walk away and have five or six years of bad credit and leave their forty or $50,000 worth of debt behind than it is to work out how to pay it off. And, um, the, and it's just, yeah, look, it's a, it's a mindset thing. It's an education thing. It needs to start super early. Um, I've got a five- and six-year-old, and sadly, <laughs> I think I'm probably going to the other extreme 
because my two won't do anything unless they get paid for it. So (laughs) (laughs) I say, can you please clean up the playroom? Okay, well, that'll cost you 50 cents. I'm like, no, you need to do it because you're part of the family. So actually, you know, what's really interesting is, you know, I have the 20 year olds, I don't have the five year olds anymore. And I think they cost me more now than they ever did in my life um, or their lives. And I just like I, I actually look at the education like Casey's been, Casey will have done eight years of university by the time she finishes. Two and a half years of that will be private university. The rest was um, you know, undergraduate and prerequisites and whatever else she had to do. And she's going to come out with a hefty bloody debt. Mm. And um, Kate Tania's looking at an education um, place that's 95000 for an undergraduate. Wow. And I think that these kids, you know, that want to go to university, first of all, they come out with this humongous debt and then yeah. they want, then they, they get, I know when I was in school, I just, I wanted stuff. I was sick of living on the bread line. And so we got out and, yes, we rented, but we, we also went into overdraft. And yeah. I think we stayed there for quite some time until we went, right, we have to educate ourselves because we need to know what we, you know, what we have to do in order to get ahead. So it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? And, and I look at my kids and I think, well, if they didn't have us, they'd be on the bread line. Yeah, they really yeah. would be on the breadline. Mm. Yep, that's exactly right. I, th- I don't, I don't necessarily think the hex debt is a bad thing. I think education in our country is phenomenally expensive for what it is. Um, but I paid for my masters as I went, which was you know sixty or seventy thousand or something, which was ridiculous. But um, it's you know it was something that I wanted to do. And now my husband's just finished his masters in mining engineering, which has cost us the same. <laughs> and you know you think about the amount of stuff. But going forward. To be educated in that respect, I think, sets you apart as well. So um, if a child's showing the tenacity and and the nous to go and study and do uni, hats off to them. And then over time, that hex debt will pay down with what they're earning. So I think at the end of the day it does become – because it's, you know, it's – if they can do the hex debt environment, that is tax-free. So it is it is a good way to do it and they will get better jobs and it is highly competitive in the world these days. You can't afford people advocate, oh, you know, you can be entrepreneurial and, and not, not have an education behind you. But um, in my experience, it's incredibly difficult to be entrepreneurial um, and to have to solely rely on trusting others with experience. Um, if you've if you've been to uni and you've done that, you'll generally have the skill set, not necessarily to understand, you know, to be able to parrot back textbook stuff, but to be able to research for yourself, um, to be able to uh, deduce what is is the correct way to go just based on the fact that you've had to problem solve for a few years. So I think if anything, the uni just gives kids a, a great tools in skill sets in problem solving and, and researching and, and trying to find solutions, which they're going to need in life. I think that's a really good point because I think that, um, like you said, it's at least two or three years or three or four years or six or seven years, whatever it is, of full-on problem solving and yeah. and really being put in a position where they've got to, um, you know, they've, that they've got to justify where they found things and how they found things and I think that um, that can only be a huge benefit. I'm interested, Jodes, to, to really understand though, you know, I'm an accountant Okay, so let's just... We won't hold that against you. I was going to say, let's put it out there <laughs> and let us not hold that against me. <laughs> so, you know, I, I didn't 
grow up thinking when I was six years old, I want to be an accountant. I want to be an accountant. I so did not do that. Like you, I sort of fell into it, but I got out of it. But you just seem to have expanded yourself inside of this environment and have become this wealth of information, this wealth of knowledge. And what I do love the most about you is you are also a wealth of experience. Um, yeah. Because I'm, you know, I'm a real, um, and this is just me personally, but I, you know, there are a lot of people who have a lot of beliefs and a lot of book smarts, but unless they've got experience, they can't know it. And yeah. you know from the bottom of your bottom and the seat of your soul, what works, what doesn't work, what's right, what's not right. And I'm interested to understand um, what's kept you in it because the next question around what we, what you foresee from a financial yeah. point of view and a global point of view, I think that that's going to speak volumes to it because only somebody who has so much passion and so much connection to something like this can have foresight you know what I mean and you just seem to have such incredible foresight so what's what's kept you in it okay oh that's a no one's ever asked me that before um (laughs) welcome welcome to up for for a chat and yeah (laughs) that's right the hard-hitting question oh yeah (laughs) um well for those that don't know my background um I lost millions in 2008 um in the fallout of the GFC um, for lots of dis- different reasons, I was, I was self-made multimillionaire, um, living in a marble and glass mansion, just had my first child, life was really peachy keen and rosy, um, thought I'd had retired at 32 or whatever to have my family and, and unbeknownst to me, there's massive fallout across the, the globe with what's now known as the global financial crisis of 2008. So everyone will be very familiar with that and we've, we're only six or seven years past that and and we're only just starting to get our, our headway. For me, yes, that was traumatic. Yes, it was horrific. Yes, it, but it, um, what I'm the learnings that I'm taking from that now, um, there's probably two really crucial things that come to mind as soon as I start talking about this. One is um, um, I am so glad that I had assets in every quadrant because if I didn't, I would have nothing to start with again. So that particular global demise was way beyond my control. No one saw it coming. And if they did, they're liars. No one saw it coming. To, to protect yourself against unforeseen events, things that the world is going to throw at you. You know, and you'll have people listening to this that, that have been struck down with things that are way more significant than the loss of a dollar. You know, that they're, they're up against the fight of their life in cancer. You know, they've lost somebody that they've adored through an accident. You know, they've got bigger losses. They, and you'll have other people listening who've been made bankrupt or who are going through a divorce and they're about to lose half of everything. Um, so it doesn't matter what the loss is, but what are the learnings that that we can take from it then? So for me, one of the biggest thing was is in order to try and mitigate my risk going forward, so to try and lessen the impact of this potentially ever happening again, I am so glad that I had assets in shares, property, and cash. You know, you'll meet people who go, "No, I'm not into I'm not into shares. They're too scary. You know, they freak me out." And generally. I think that in the back of my mind, you know, that's just a lack of education, to be honest, because there's massive amounts of benefits in shares, both Australian and international. Um, 
if you just own property, uh, that in itself is a massive risk for lots of other reasons. You know, you're not exposed to fully frank dividends that come with the Australian shares, et cetera, et cetera. But because I had assets in all of it, that when we lost the share market investments um, the, and everything went into margin call and everything was liquidated and then we had to sell down businesses to try and pay down outstanding debts, et cetera, et cetera. The only thing that we had left when we finally liquidated all was a little bit of equity left in property portfolio. So that's probably one of the things that I tend to suggest to people now is as you're building wealth over your lifetime, try and learn about different asset classes so that you can not only glean all the positives, but if something was to go pear-shaped, um, at some point, you know, you, you've got the means or the wherewithal to get yourself out to start again. So that's the first learning. The second is, holy crap, if that could happen in 2008, and it was a 50% market fall, and historically the market, the, the lowest it had ever fallen was 1929 stock market crash, which was something like 30%. So for most of the planners, the, the investment analysts that I know, we safeguarded our portfolios for a collapse of 40%. No one thought that half the world's markets could be annihilated within a few weeks. So if someone says to me now, I've mitigated my risk or I've lessened my risk or, I, you know, I'm, I'm all over this, um, I'll want to know what their LVRs are, which is a loan-to-value ratio, how much they owe versus how much they own to, um, to see where they're at because there's a very good chance that the markets could fall 50% again. You know, if it's happened once before, it could happen again except that it could happen bigger than the last one. You know, and that sounds like a lot of scaremongering or it might not be a significant fall of 50% like we saw with the GFC, but it might be a fall of 30%, but then we go into a world depression. So... I think I'm in a world of depression listening to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's frightening, yeah, isn't it? It so, is. And, and what I, I just have a question for you with... How does the world affect Australia? Seriously, like I feel like we're down here, we're doing our own thing. I don't get how, how the like, you know, we, they all talk about Greece. Can you explain how the world affects us? Okay, so we're, we're only about 5% of the world global environment anyway. So really it's, you know, we, we don't really rate a mention. The, the problem is in the today's age of technology. So we didn't have these issues 20 years ago when I started studying finance. Um, these issues now, uh, you know, my, my phone, for instance, is set to alerts. So I can, I can see exactly what's happening in the yen or exactly what's happening with the US dollar or, or if the oil price hits this particular thing, I, I, I'm all over it. Um, and then I'll research very, very quickly in two seconds on my phone about five different sites which will tell me why have oil stocks plummeted in the last 15 minutes. So with that technology, it means that our markets react. Gone are the days when they'd say, um, you know, um, prices are built into, you know, you, could, you or oh, let, how do I explain it? So, you know, for instance, let's say us four run massive big global companies, you know, like the you know, we own Colesmeyer and we own BHP and we own these big companies in Australia. The four of us sit down to have coffee and we come up with this fantastic idea about how we're all going to work together. So then someone at an adjoining table overhears that and they go into their broker and says, you know what, these four companies are going to go gangbusters because I heard them having a discussion about blah, 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 blah. So that there is called insider trading. And if you were to go and buy shares in all of our companies based on a conversation that you heard, 
you'd go to jail for it. That used to be a massive thing in the 80s in the dot-com era, you know, when people were trying because they didn't have the technology that they have now. These days with technology the way it is, um, we don't have we don't have any of that anymore. Everything's instantaneous. Um, you know, you're finding out about people sit in meetings and then tweet what happened in that meeting. So it moves at a faster pace and that's how come Australia gets absorbed into all of this. The other issue that we've got is that the massive levels of debt in the world and I, I could talk for the next 10 minutes on it but basically in a nutshell there's hundreds of trillions of dollars worth of debt in the US and they're the, they're the world's biggest powerhouse. The next one is China and can I just tell you that China has had their stock market bottom's fallen out of it about 30% in the last couple of months. But they've been artificially stimulating their Chinese markets for the last 6 to 12 months. The government have been giving people money to invest into the stock market. They have opened up margin loaned facilities so that average people can invest their money into the stock market, amongst other things. So they're artificially stimulating their market with borrowed money that they've borrowed from the US by way of government bonds. Now, there's a whole gamut of things that you don't really need to know about that, except that if they get into trouble and they start selling down their government bonds to the US, the the government bond market in the US is already in a bubble and you only need to research government bond market bubble and you'll go, oh, okay, well, I don't understand much of this except it looks pretty mean. If that starts to go there'll be a ripple effect and that's where the world then panics based on technology. You know, you only need one one um, financial institution like a Lehman Brothers or something to go under, like ha- what happened with 2008, and then the ripple effect is astronomical. So you'd hope common sense prevails but it sometimes so- doesn't. Are you predicting something here, Jodie? Is there a prediction in <laughs> No, this? I'm not predicting anything. <laughs> I do a little <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> but what I would say is that, you know, we're not um, – I don't want to be doomsday and doom and gloom except to say that there are indicators right now in the world that make it look like we could potentially be exposed to another adverse incident. That's what I will say. Um, and then if that's the case, um, it, it'll just be a matter of writing it out again. Jodie, how, um, come, how come you know this and the people who are at the heart of it all are not They do know it. it. They do know it. Okay, well, they do it. explain they to me just why they're doing they it. Ca- they can't tell you about it because then people will panic. But you know about it. So there would be heaps of other people that know about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now we're all yeah. panicking. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> That's not helpful. No, it's not. It's not a panic situation because it could be three to six months away. Um, it might be. It might be a big fall that we get, which might be ten or twelve percent, and then that just puts us into, um, you know, a, where the government will just try and lower interest rates. The the thing that worries me and worries a lot of um, economists and analysts is that in the last GFC we came off the the commodity boom. You know, we, we don't have that to back us up as a country this time round. We had interest rates at 5 or 6% last time. We don't have that this time. They've already dropped them so low to try and stimulate consumer confidence and spending. We don't have that luxury this time. And, and the level of debt 
globally. I mean, there's always going to be the issues with Greece is just debt related, nothing else. You know that they're they're paying their pensioners an exorbitant amount of money, and and they're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and they're just borrowing more and more. They're printing their own money. Their inflation, they'll either have they'll either have massive issues with inflation going forwards, or they'll have massive massive issues with having to to move out of the euro and back to their own currency, which they can't even afford to print. So, they're, they're, every different area has got their own issues. Every country wants to try and keep things smooth. You can't panic the general population because they'll they'll freeze. They won't buy. They won't spend. They won't do anything like that. Um, so all I'd say to your podcast viewers, uh, listeners, if you're listening, is just keep it in the back of your mind. Listen to what's happening. Um, perhaps start to think, you know, um, uh, I'll, you know, I, I might not look at um, getting big industrial estates and leveraging myself to the eyeballs in the next six months you know I might I might start to pay down some credit card debt I might start to put us in a stronger position I might start to become more aware the good thing can I just say while I'm on a running tangent <laughs> go, go. is when when this stuff does happen if it does happen then it represents a beautiful magnificent time to buy in the markets whether mm. it's property or shares yeah. Because so, the, it's only the share price that plummets, which is really just a paper loss. Um, the value of the company doesn't change generally. So, you know, you can still buy your banks because they're still kind of worth the same. Um, they, you're just getting them at a discounted price because the markets are panicked and they're irrational. So you're, you would say, you know, in, in any case, whether we're going to prepare for an, on uh, something that may have happened like 2008 or even preparing for our future, you would be saying get into, make sure you're in all sorts of things, cash up a little bit, get out of debt. Um, you know, is this what you're saying, Jodie, is what we should do? Yeah, yeah, as a whole. So if I had to talk holistically about what someone would do in their lifetime of money, I would love to suggest that they have that they consider getting shares, property and cash in all aspects, you know, um, and that doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to learn from people like myself, especially those of us that spruke our knowledge, you know, just willy-nilly to anyone that will listen. But um, cash holdings are really good. You know, cash is great for not necessarily putting, you know, lots of money aside because you can't get anything in straight bank interest these days. And um, But just to have that little bit of buffer there, a lot of people are just living on credit cards, Um to try and pay down private debt, you know, your credit cards, your mortgages, anything that's not tax deductible, um, definitely contributing to super over time. Although the thing that worries me about super <laughs> while I'm on my tangents is that, um, you know, the government are very, very keen to get us into super and put all of our wealth into it. But at some point I can see them making us um, commute it to a, a pension rather than being able to take it as a lump sum. They've so been talking what that, about that. They've been talking about that. Um. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, see, at this, at this point, superannuation is just an environment and it's still your money that's in there. It's just mm. taxed differently. But I can see them saying after 20 years of us, you know, accumulating assets, they'll say, right, okay, so we're going to change the legislation. Now whatever money's in there stays in there and you can only draw an income from it. You can't actually take it out to pay off your mortgage or you can't take out $100,000 in sale around the world. You know, mm. you, you'll, they'll, they'll put limits on what you can and can't do with your own money. 
Yeah. It's, what it's, about self-managed super funds? They can't do that to self-manage, can they? Or they will. It'll just be the super environment full stop. Jeez. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. We um, we went and saw our accountant a couple of weeks ago and the accountant, well, actually not a couple of weeks ago because I've just recently switched, but um, it was a couple of months ago and the accountant was saying, put your money into super, put it into super, put it into super, put it into super. And Matt and I looked at each other and went, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't feel like that feels safe. And then we yeah. look, we looked into the self-managed super fund and no joke, the next day there was a huge big um, show on the TV. I don't know if it was on SBS or ABC, but it was a show specifically around superannuation and the intended changes to legislation that then increases the tax threshold for superannuation and then mm. also transitions it into a superannu- into a pension payment only. So, you mm. again, you can't do what you want with your money. And both Matt and I looked at each other and went, thank God we didn't take that advice because it would have put us on struggle street to do that. Yeah. Um, well, see, the interesting thing is, is that you get the benefit now. So superannuation has huge benefits now as far as creating, you know, that tax. Tax haven. Um, yeah. yeah, or the, the tax benefits. Plus if you're retired, you know, a lot of people have got allocated pensions and annuities or they're self-funded and they, you know, it's 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 beneficial in relation to tax for those people. Yeah. Um, it's so there are it does definitely does have lots and lots of merits and look I've got super so I, in that environment and um but I just think that that going forward it's just something to think about. Um mm. I like the idea of always retaining control. Mm. But you think if you're the government, this is where the wealth's being built. Absolutely. You know, they've got with generations. The population. Totally. There's going to be tr- hundreds of trillions of dollars in, in pocket pools of super. So, um, and you know, guess where super's invested generally? Oh, yeah. Share market. In the share market, yeah. So what happens when we, we've, done, like, we've done the last six years where people's supers are eroded because they're in shares? Oh, you know, my dad has had so many of his friends who are 70 and 80 who've lost all of their money when the stock market yep. crashed and they've had to go back and try and find jobs. Yes, we'll go so, on the pension and, and live on 20000 a year as a couple. There's you, you, got you're to be another spot way. on. There's got yes. to be another way. So, And then that's where um, the smartest minds in the world get together and try and come up. You know, this is as a as an economist or as an ex-planner, you know, I'm taught about the different asset classes. There's shares, property, cash, but within those you've got – uh, literally hundreds of investment opportunities, thousands of investment opportunities. Mm. And then when you get into, which I love looking at, is like the analyst side of things, you know, how do we how do we hedge our bets or get into the hedge funds to to work off currency? You know, this is what the banks do overnight. Mm. You know, they'll 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 trade currencies overnight while we're asleep in order to glean that little bit of extra profit. Yeah. Um you know, like it, it's a it's a whole minefield. I love it, <laughs> but then, but then this is no different to me getting your messages, Kaz, where you know you're talking about quantum physics and 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 energies, and and I'm like, oh my god, I can feel it. I have no idea how to interpret it, and I can't tell you how it works. And then I look at it's something like Cindy's stuff, and she's talking about trans fats and something else and what we can and can't eat. And then I get to that point where, oh, can you just write a book on what I can eat and then I'll just stick to that because, you know, it gets so confusing. Mm, yeah, yeah. And Kimmy's the same. I rang her office last week and said that I was really sick and her staff are saying, oh, gosh, well, where's your immune boost? 
why don't you have that out? That's antibacterial. That's a, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we all, we all have our little things that we're really, really good at, and I guess that's the whole idea of Up for a Chat is that, you know, you try and subtract this information from people and apply it to your own worlds. So for somebody okay, – so, oh, sorry, Kim. No, we're so excited. Oh, we've got we so many questions. questions. <laughs> I was just going to say, so for someone like me who is sitting here thinking, I just keep thinking I hear super something or rather along with artificial insemination, which I think wasn't insemination for something else. Um, doesn't, doesn't take long. long. Doesn't take long. I was waiting for it to go there. Yeah, Oops. it doesn't take long. Well, I'd like to know if I could make money doing that. That would probably a lot better off. Um, but I'd love to know. So for someone, especially for me, Jody, as a parent, I'm not what I would call highly educated in money. All I know is that you should save more than you spend. And I think that's a fairly good philosophy just to start with. But the reality is, is you know, when you've got kids and, and you just mentioned it before with your two little E's saying it's worth 50 cents, it's, you know, and I love that whole thing. What's your advice to us mummies on if we're not literate like you, um, but what's the basics? What do I basically need to understand in order then to be the best teacher for my children and have the best opportunities for me and my family? Yeah, that's a good question. I like the idea of just them understanding that you, you don't put a card in the wall and get money out. You know, there's so many kids, they just see you swipe over a card. that I look, to be honest, they don't even know what cash is. Um, you know, they, they're not even aware of five cents, 10 cents. So what, what I do with my two particularly is, um, I'm, we've got a jobs chart. They, they get paid this small allowance for the jobs that they do. And then I'm tough on them. If they don't do their jobs, they don't get paid. And I, I don't hear the end of it, to be honest, some days because, but then other days when they really want something, you know, they'll go out of their way to say, look, look, mum, I've, you know, watered all the plants or something. So, um, but to add up, to, to be able to see that, you know, two five cents add up to 10 cents and that one 10 cents is worth the same amount. Um, I, it's surprising in primary school the amount of kids that don't realise that two fifty cents add up to a dollar and it's the same as that gold coin. Um, and then um, to understand the value of um, earning a dollar, I think, um, I don't know. Um, that's probably the biggest thing because um, the next generation are going to, they're going to have that delayed gratification or the lack of delayed gratification. They want everything today. So um, one of the things that I'm doing with my two is that part of their salary or their salary, <laughs> yeah, their big $3 a week, part of their income, <laughs> some of it they're allowed to save. So generally as a rule, we try and do that whole, they can spend 50% of it because they're little kids and that's half the fun. Um, they've got to save 30 or 40% and then 10% has to go to a charity. So one of the things that we do is there's this, um, you know, that puppy dog coin things uh, for the uh, guide, oh, the guide, do dogs. guide dogs, is it? Yeah, the guide dogs. Yeah, so my two love that puppy dog at the shopping centre. And so they give their, their charitable portion to the guide dogs, to the puppies, probably because it's just this life-size puppy the same size as them. Um, but they like the idea of it going to charity. The other thing that we do is before Christmases and things like that where they're going to get more toys, we go into the, the toy room and clean out all the toys that no longer serves them or makes them feel happy and joyful or that they play with, and that goes to charity. And there's quite often a lot of tears around that, but then they get excited about some other kids being able to play with it and they're not allowed to do that 
they're not allowed to get new presents until old presents go to charity. So then that creates a whole way of going, okay, well, in order for me to get something more, I free up this and, and I'm giving and, you know, I, uh, it's just trying to instill some more the values behind money necessarily. I love it. I think – I, I think you have it. nothing to worry about with your two. They're absolutely adorable. But well, well, I think what happened, which was interesting, because I too think that they sometimes think that the money comes out of the tree. I mean, I still think it comes out of the thing, and, and my husband's away <laughs> once a year, and I love the fact that there's still money. Whenever Danny's around, he always oh, puts money yeah. in my wallet, and he fills car. And I just—I'd love to be a kept it. woman. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but the, but in my next life, yeah, my next life too. <laughs> but the thing I love about there's a payoff for that, obviously. You know, yeah. he's away eight months of the year. But one thing I noticed just with us, you know, the way we are and the way we talk about it and being around you girls, and then I think what's really taught me about money is is building a business as well. Or I'm not Ooh, saying yeah. I know a lot, but having to understand and having people responsible. But what was so amazing is Jacob got offered this job, and I, I may have mentioned this on it, um, to help someone for a day. Anyway, I said to him, look, go and watch and learn and see what you can do and, and, and see how much you can actually, you know, learn by watching the boss and, and the other people that are working there. And he was working at, a, um, at an auction. Anyway, at the end of it, the, the boss turned around to him and said, oh, Jacob, just a minute, I'll get you some money. And to my son's credit, he turned around and he said, oh, look, please don't pay me. I've, I've really looked at this as some work experience and I'd like to give my time for that. The guy was so flippant impressed that he turned around and gave him a $100 note and said, listen, mate, you're the kind of kid that I want you know, that, you know, let me know when you're finishing school because you're the sort of kid that would do really well for me. And I thought it's really, and that sort of sparked his interest. You know what he's just chosen for subjects for next year? He's decided that he needs to do some business skills and, and he's just thinking, well, maybe if I do a little bit of, you know, um, I think it's I think it's economics he's studying. He's looking at chemistry and it just that one bit of feedback from that one businessman who then mm. said, you know, he's a great kid made him go, well, maybe, I don't know what I want to do, but maybe money is kind of how the world ticks. And I just want to know your thoughts around that for teenagers what sort of subjects should they be looking at um in order to have you know we know that you're, you're both you're all saying that the schools aren't providing enough but surely there's something there for them yeah yeah that's what well, the the thing is is that they're taught quite often you know that they'll get out of school and they'll get themselves a job and and if you're really lucky you can follow your passion but if not you know then you just go into a, a normal job somewhere um, there's very few people teaching entrepreneurials because not everyone can be an entrepreneur. Not everyone can be a business owner. There's a lot of people that just aren't wired that way. They don't have the the drive or the ambition or the motivation. Or And you know yourselves, it's actually incredibly difficult. It's very, very hard to be a business owner. Um, but if you've, if you've got a child who's exhibiting skills of leadership or a child that's exhibiting um, entrepreneurial skills in, in the things like Jake, you know, in what Jacob's just done where he's gone, listen, you know, I'm just happy. The The thing that resonates with what Jacob did was not about money, not about anything else, is is his respect for the process, his respect. And when I was talking before, I meant the feelings and the emotions and the energy around money. In that instant, he recognised the learnings. He rec- And that is very entrepreneurial. That is very leadership orientated. That's not just someone who's like, what's in it for me? What can I get out of it? Um, so if you recognise those sorts of things in your children, that's where I'd be encouraging, yeah, the business subjects. So definitely um, anything to do with um, IT for a start, anything to do with economics. Any Economics can be boring in school though for kids. 
But, yeah, anything to do with um, that, there's a lot of programs around, and I'm sure you girls would agree, that if you have a child who's 15, 16, 17, and they're showing an interest in what it is that you do, I'd have them following me around for a week happily. Um, and then they're the ones that I'm going to give an internship to. They're the ones I'm going to want to help through uni. They're the ones I'm going to write awesome references for. Um, I can give you a classic example. There's a, a young one, a young one, now I sound really old. She's just turned 18. She's done a bit of babysitting for my child, my children, and she wants to be a police officer. And so at 18, she's at TAFE. She's doing all her legal courses. Um, very, very smart kid, very bright really socially aware and socially conscious, she asked me for a reference so she could get a little part-time job and I, I dropped everything to get her this reference so that she could get the job ASAP and um, she was gobsmacked with the kind of reference that I would write. But in, in the time that I've known her, I've got to see not only her intellect but also the way she problem solves but also her kindness, her values um, and that sort of head start with, with teenagers, that'll set them apart from everyone else. So, beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I think that there's, um, there's a lot in that. And I think that you mentioned it earlier on, Kimmy, about, you know, how we actually grow up mm. and where it all starts because it's not taught in our schools. Most families don't know. They don't even know the questions to ask for their own financial well-being much less know what to teach their children and I think that Jodes you've been wanting to do some education for a long time and you were doing it there for a little bit and I think it is people like you who are just willing to spruik everything that they know yeah um, that are <laughs> going to at least raise the awareness yeah okay. well people don't think it's a pressing thing you know they, they're getting by so and then they're worried about who to trust so it's hard on the financial education front because yeah. there's huge um there's huge issues around giving advice you know you need to be licensed to give advice to people and even just our conversation today you know some could misconstrued as advice and constituted as that when it's not um and then, then they don't know where to go or who to trust I think the idea is that I I will not and won't and will never going forward affiliate myself with financial institutions um, because I don't have the control over what I will and won't tell people and I don't want to flog products. Um, I'd love to see eventually one day, you know, an, an institution that just gives basic financial planning information without it being affiliated, without there being product flogging, you know, somewhere where people can go and for a $100 seminar for three hours they learn about you know, all these tangible things that they can just go away and apply into their own world and that makes them better. Oh, God, um, bring you know, that curriculum. That, well, that's what I started. But, there were, you know, there's there's got to be a big call for it, you know, and people, people get embarrassed about their financial situation. They like to pretend that they've got it all going on. It's very... Um, it's very difficult for a lot of people to go, hey, you know what, I put their hand up and say I'm struggling with this because uh, they don't want their peers or their colleagues or their friends to think that they're not all over it. Mm. So, yeah, so that's something that um, I've already got one program, but rolling out something that is that people can do comfortably online at night by themselves or read a bit of information that's not going to cost the earth but will just give them a, a lot of information, I've, that's definitely something that's in my to-do list for next year, um, you know, especially around you know, children too or teenagers. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting that you should say what about this. So when, you know, Howard and I um, first started looking at, you know, our financial life, 
um, once we got out of university, we went to a lot of these places that um, would be teaching you, but they always had a product to sell. And I've had bank managers who see what you make and um, try to sell you a product. Mm. And that really made me angry. I just mm. said, well, that's it. I'm out of here. Yeah, so absolutely. I just, oh, yeah. And, and, I, and when he described it to me, I ended up saying to him, you actually don't understand how, how our finances work. We don't pay the amount of tax you're talking about because we own our business. We don't have a wage because that's a difference between getting, having a wage and owning a business. You have, you know, tax deductions. Anyway, that, that's beside the point. So I think what you are coming up with, Jodie, I think would be brilliant because then you're not pressured into going, well, this is what I want to do. But having said that, people are lazy. People don't want to have mm. to educate themselves. They want you to say, hey, right. just tell me what to eat or just tell me where to put my money or can you help me with my brain yeah. or what physical exercise yeah. should I be doing? You know, they just they don't want to have to think for themselves. But for the people that do want to think for themselves, I just believe that there's a real need for um, a, a public education system, not not public, private education system that will, will help people through that. And moving on from mm. finance, I think it's really important, Jody. and I, I realise we haven't got a lot of time left, but one of the other things that you are um, brilliant at is business and um, helping people, mentoring people through um, businesses. And I think that that's also important because most people think that the only people who need coaches are the high-end tennis players and the high-end football players. But people in business also need to be helped and coached and supported. And and I, I know you were telling me about somebody who rang you up and she'd had a little bit of a crisis and just to have a cup of coffee with her and calm her down in her business and then move her on to the next step. So if you want to address that in the in the time we've got left which isn't long I just um, <laughs> I, well, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. I think business is incredibly isolating you know um you, you'll you'll be able to discuss it with your partner if your partner's in the business but often they're not or at home uh, yeah or, or or even at home I know that feeling honey <laughs> not to your level but still um, it is, and it's isolating. And you know, you can Google search, you can try and work out, God, what do I do if this happens? Or, um, um, you know, there's there's a great analogy that that footballers and and tennis coaches, and when everything's going pear shaped in your business, just go back to the basics. Just go back to passing the ball, and just keep passing the ball and pass. Don't worry about all the fancy tackling options and all the different manoeuvres and whatever. When 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 the proverbial is hitting the fan, all I want you to do is just stand there and pass the ball or stand there and hit the ball. And then at some point you'll you'll get back onto it. But people in small business particularly come up against a hurdle or an adversity and drop the ball and then everything goes pear-shaped. It all becomes too hard. They want to give up. Um, and that's where the coaches, if you're a good coach, you'll recognise that they're struggling. Sometimes um, people, it depends on, like, Kim, you do a lot on human behaviour and um, personality traits and that sort of thing. Some Sometimes people struggle to, to let you know that they're, they're hitting a brick wall. Mm. You know, so you need to be, as a coach, appreciative of the fact that they, um, you know, asking all the open-ended questions to get that information from them to be able to better help them because they're not 
apt at being able to explain where they're at themselves. And quite often they don't even know. They know that they're just doing the same thing day in, day out, but they're getting no results. Well, I think too the thing that Kaz always talks about, and and I think I I challenge anyone on any greater thing to push buttons, but when emotions are high, intelligence is low, and there's nothing like money issues to push all buttons and send Mm. you into a screaming banshee Indian who is (laughs) flapping. So um, what, what would be your advice then? What's your top five tips around getting financially sound for the, for the good old family at home, um, maybe not even necessarily a business person, but around home, what are your five tips as far as, or three yep. tips, whatever, you, you, you give us your top. Yeah, okay, tops. So the first thing that I would do is just know where you're at today. It's it's very, very simple. Go and get a bank, go and get your latest bank statements from whatever accounts you've got take five different highlighters. The, the whole thing's on my website. Um, just highlight what you're spending. What's the stuff that you can't control? What's the stuff that you can control? And then write it down. So, And people call it a budget. I, I can't stand budgets myself. You, and oh. you alluded to that as well. But Love you it. need to know where it's at. So, for instance, if I go through and I go, okay, well, um, yellow highlighter is going to highlight all my discretionary spending. So the stuff that I don't really need to spend that I do. So I'm shopping at, you know, um, Um, far too much at the liquor stores, far too much at Kmart, far too much at Target, you know, the hairdresser and the nails. And and if you look and I go, oh, my God, my whole statement is full of yellow highlighter. And I do this with clients. They say, oh, we we can't free up cash flow. We, you know, we're really, really struggling. And and then I go through and their whole statement's full of yellow. I'll go, oh, gosh, you've got so much room for improvement. This is awesome. But if you're, if everything is fuel, rates, mortgage, school fees, and that's pink, and your whole statements are full of pink, and there's very little yellow. I'll be like, okay, we really are, we really are on the bones of our ass here. What else can we be doing? You know, so just know where you're at. Get your superannuation statements together. Understand, add up all your super balances. How much do I have? You know, if you've got five supers, roll them into one so that you're consolidating the income power or the earning potential of that money. Um, I love to do an asset and liability. indication as well. How much is my house worth? How much are my shares worth? How much have I got in cash? Add it up. How much is my credit card debt? How much is my mortgage? How much is my car loan? Add it up. What's my LVR? And then you can track that over time. So just get a really good snapshot of where you're at. It's It's terrifying when you start out if you've not done it, but it's so empowering and so incredibly freeing when you're aware of it. That's the first thing. The second thing that I would do is um, don't beat yourself up. So it's all a headspace thing. Once you're aware of it, just accept the fact that you are where you're at and you're meant to be where you're at, where you are. And what else can I do differently now? So that's probably my third thing is all the little improvements that you can make. So can I can I speak to my banks about you know am I on the right mortgage? Can I get an extra half a percent? Can I speak to the the council about paying off my rates? monthly or weekly or fortnightly can I get a better deal on my mobile phones can you know there's so many different options in relation to small business are there little areas that I can target market without going I need to spend 10 grand on a marketing campaign you know can I go and speak with my PNC group about getting you know some press on nutrition or something you know there's lots of little things um, that you can do to help improve your situation overall Um, the last thing I'd probably suggest is that if things are really, really tough and you're really, really struggling, 
in any area, whether it's small business or your personal environment situation, um, the government, as much as I, I struggle with them sometimes, there's lots of uh, opportunities there for you to get extra funding. So if you're really, really struggling, um, ringing up the Centrelinks of the world and just saying, listen, what am I entitled to? Ring up small business, getting, finding out what government grants you're entitled to. Um, yeah, that, that's probably the last thing that I'd say is there's, there's a lot of help if you're prepared to look for it. That's awesome. Now, can you come to my house and do it mine for so, me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to finish with this though. I do have to say this. You said it before. Some people are really wired this way and some people are wired to spend, some to save, some accrue and all those sorts of things. I also do think, you know, this is where getting people that are in the knowledge to actually support you to get it right or to, you know, because it's a lot of energy for those of us that aren't left brain analyticals and all of that sort of jazz. So you've been a real help for me around that, Jodie, and I'd, I'd really like to. Can you tell us what your uh, what your website is and all the details and maybe if you've got Instagram and Facebook, let us know who you are and where you are. Yeah. Okay, so it's just Jodie Nolan, J-O-D-I-E-N-O-L-A-N.com and that's my website. But I also um, share a lot of stuff on Facebook, which is just Jodie Nolan, J-O-D-I-E-N-O-L-A-N. Um, that's a public page. So, And then you can comment. The best thing I love is having people interact. So if they have a question, it's not going to cost them anything, um, they can ask it. And generally I get back to them because that's what I like to do at night when I've got nothing else better to do with a cup of tea is to get back to questions. Um, and, yeah, um, an Equus Group is my other website, which is all education-based. Uh, that's E-Q-U-I-S-G-R-O-U-P, Equus Group. And Equus because I love horses, so I figured I had to look at my business name for the rest of my life. I might as well have one I love. So um, that's equusgroup.com.au. And on there is a whole heap of tools that you can download Um Free, free tools. There's a there's a budget planner. There's that thing I was talking about, about the assets and liabilities. That's on there as well that you can just download for free. Um, tons of information on small business, tons of information on personal finances and super and things like that. And most of that is, is free on that website as well, plus educational sessions and, and that sort of thing. So That's so yeah. awesome. Well, this has been a really amazing podcast and I'm pretty sure that everybody who's listened to it would feel exactly the same way. I think what you've done today, Jody, is you've brought incredible awareness to a subject that most people prefer to sweep underneath the carpet and hope that it goes away nicely. <laughs> but I, I think that... Uh... <laughs> yep. Yep. But... Um... <laughs> thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly and just like giving everything that you've got to to our listeners i'm pretty sure everybody's going to be over the moon and trying to track you down after today's podcast so thank you my love this has been amazing that's fabulous thanks girls thank you it's been an honor i appreciate it and also, too, um, you know, for those of you who don't know yet or haven't booked yourselves in, the Wellness Summit in Melbourne is coming up. And it is on, I'm just going to get the exact. This weekend. It this is weekend. This weekend. Mm -hmm. So it's Saturday and Sunday. And our beautiful Jodes is going to be coming down and she's going to be hanging out with us. So yeah. if you want to meet her. Make sure that you come down and introduce yourself to her and tell her that you've heard her on the podcast. She'll be beside <laughs> herself excited. <laughs> mm, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. 
So thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure that you go to the Wellness Summit. If you haven't already secured your tickets, go to thewellnesssummit.com. You can also post your comments about today's show on all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, or you can go to the wellnesscouch.com and uh, forward slash up for a chat and post your comments there. And you can also get access to the Wellness Summit from the Wellness Couch website, which you may be used to by now, which is all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com. So thank you everybody for tuning in to today's show. It's been an absolute treat to share one of our most favorite human beings with you. We can't wait to share more with you on the next on the next podcast. So join us here next week and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We're going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.